Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We're going to be kicking off in verse 8 of Malachi 3 together this morning. Again, turned, and we're looking at how the nation of Israel had turned from the Lord, and God's calling them to turn back. And as we talk about each week, it's a reminder that this seems like we are on the outside looking in, an uncomfortable conversation between a father and his children. Really a corrective conversation. It's been no different today, and I'm glad you're with us today. This is a great week to jump in. If you're a first time here, it's a great time to be a first time guest because we're talking about money. That's right, money. Isn't that why you come to church? To hear how you should be giving your money away? You're like, I knew it. I come one time a year talking about money. Well, interesting thing about our main diet of scripture is we work our way mostly through books of the Bible. And a great reason for doing that is you can't dodge hard topics. And so we didn't come to Malachi so we could talk about money. We came to Malachi so we can see who God is, and how great God is, how much we need the Lord, and how easy it is to drift or to turn from the Lord. But here God talks about Money, essentially, giving. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I think this is going to be encouraging to you, one, because it's God's word. And so there's encouragement to be gleaned and gained from God's word every time we come to God's word because there's only one teacher in the room, and it's not this guy, right? The Holy Spirit teaches. And so we trust the Holy Spirit to do the work that only he can do in our lives. And so when we come here, I wonder if we come expecting for God to do something as we gather he does. Well, like we're going to jump off in verse 8 of Malachi 3, so hopefully I bought you enough time to get there. Malachi 3, verse 8. It says this, and again, this is God speaking through Malachi. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? How do we rob you, you ask? By not pay, making the payments of the tenth and the contributions you are suffering a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. And so if you're taking notes this morning, you can title this sermon, Robbing God. Robbing God. And we're going to come back to this question, but I want us to consider, are there areas to where we are robbing God? Because they, the Israelites, were robbing God. And when we come here, this seems to be the second part of a two-part teaching series that God's giving on giving, correcting some giving deficiencies. If you remember in Malachi chapter 1, he was correcting their giving quality. See, they were sacrificing lame offerings, literally. They were not offering the best of what God commanded them to give. They were offering their leftovers. They were offering lame leftovers, lame sacrifices, lame worship. And so today we see that, one, it was quality. Today it's quantity. They're not offering what God commanded, specifically a tenth or a tithe to what we commonly refer to it as. And when we come to Scripture, we have to come to an understanding of what it means. Like what... 
what applies just to all of Scripture, what applies just to the Old Testament Israelites, and then what applies to New Testament Christians under Christ? Does everything apply to everyone, or is there specific applications for specific people? I think we know, but we're going to clarify it this morning, there's specific commands, there's specific promises, there's even specific curses for specific people. You see, when God was establishing Israel to be his nation, to represent him among the nations, he established a system of laws, commonly referred to the Mosaic laws, because they were given through Moses as God was establishing this nation. And so under the Mosaic law, which includes the Ten Commandments, the law does several things, many things, but a couple things just to make it very simple. The law revealed God's holy nature. The law reveals man's sinful nature. And the law, law reveals how God's people were to live distinct from other peoples. And one of the commands given under the Mosaic law was the tithe. And really, it, it functioned more like a tax. And when we come through the Old Testament, we really see not one tithe, not two tithe, but at least three, and you could say four, but three general tithes. And so one tithe that they gave was the festival tithe. And this was commanded for the celebration of the required feast, and we see that in Deuteronomy 12. Another tithe that they gave, and this was every third year tithe, could be recalled as a, like a charity tithe. This was giving to support the Levites, the priests, or rather, the Levites, the resident alien among the nations, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Basically, those who would be in need, they were to give a tenth every third year to support those in need of, around them. And then the third tithe was to support the Levites. And the Levites were to get a tithe because they were the only tribe of all the tribes of Israel that didn't receive land as an inheritance. And so they were giving a tithe to support themselves. But from the Levites would then be selected the priests who would function the services and maintain the temple. Okay? So this tithe would support the Levites, the priests, and the work of the temple. Those are the three general tithes that we see. There's a fourth tithe that the Levites tithe their tithe, but for this purpose, there's three tithes. And so if you were to do the math, just quick math, and there's debate on this, but you could average that out, that, that really they were giving some around maybe 23%. So before we get stuck on, we need to give 10%. Let's see what the Bible says, right? It's important. So really, they could have gave more like 23-ish percent. But here, they're accused of robbing God. Specifically, they were not giving what God commanded, the tent that would support the work of the temple, the priests, and the support of the Levites. And so when we look at this, and I think this goes about the same, but I'm going to say it, because what I do. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your finances. He doesn't need your fruits and your vegetables or your fattened calf, right? He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need it. Do you know why? Because it's all his anyway. I think that's where we fall short sometimes. Everything that you have is God's. Everything that you have has been given to you by God. And this is where we, I think, miss it because we know we've worked so hard. 
you've got your education. You've got your training. You've sacrificed, and now you're at where you're at because of hard work and dedication that you've put in. Praise God. But don't miss the opportunity that God's given you, the people that he's put around you, the natural abilities, skills, talents that he's ingrained in you that aided you to help you get what you got. It's all God's. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belongs to the Lord. That's a great starting point when it comes to our stuff. With this in view, the generosity that God calls his people to completely makes sense. Leviticus 27 verses 30 and 32 tells us that every tenth of the land's produce, the fruit of the trees, belongs to the Lord. Every tenth animal from the flock belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. It's all his. And so we see passages, passages of giving back a certain percentages or being generous. It makes sense as to why. Because he's given it all to us anyway. But here, these people were hoarding. They were not giving. And a hoarding heart comes from not trusting God and not trusting his word or his ways. And that's the point we come to here in Malachi. Is that's exactly what these people were caught up in. They started stopped trusting the Lord. And they stopped trusting his word. And they start leaning on their own understanding. Malachi 3.7 says, You have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. He says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, How can we return? And God simply says, Well, start trusting me more than your treasure. That's what he's getting at. Stop robbing me. Let's start there. What we will see is that God promises to bless all his people's generous giving. But there was a special blessing and curse under the covenant that God established with the nation of Israel specifically. The nation would be blessed for their obedience under the the Mosaic law and cursed for their disobedience. This curse that we see in verse 9 is likely famine that we can derive from verse 11 that we'll see here in a minute. But we'll also see here in verses 10 through 12 is that God actually desires to bless his people. Look at verse 10. He says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. And I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field. And will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then the nations will consider you fortunate. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. And so when we come to this passage, as much as we like to think that God is talking to all people of all time, the truth is, he's not. This promise is connected to God's covenant with the nation of Israel associated with the Mosaic law. Romans 10 Verse 4 tells us that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Galatians 3.13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming cursed for us. That means that you, if you have come to faith in Christ, you are no 
longer under the law. There's freedom in Christ. That doesn't mean there's rebellion with Christ. But there's freedom from the law because of Christ Jesus who set us free. There's freedom across the board in Christ Jesus. And this is where we have to start at. When we talk about giving, it starts at Christ. See, the whole law was pointing to Christ. The whole sacrificial system that goes through the law was pointing to Christ. Why were they to give their first and their best? Because that's what God would do. Why would they give their perfect lamb? Because that's what God did. It all pointed, was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And so we're not under the same law that those apart from Christ are under. Again, the law was to show us that we couldn't keep the law. It was meant to be a mirror, not a map. It's not, if you do these things, you will earn a right relationship with the Lord. It says, you try and do these things, you'll figure out quickly you can't. To show you only God can save you. You can never be good enough. You can never clean yourself up enough. When Jesus said it was finished on the cross, he meant it is done completely, paid in full. So that everyone who believes has eternal life, sins are forgiven, starts at the moment that you have faith. And so you would ask, we saw and sang, Jesus paid it all. Jesus said himself, I paid it all. Then what are we giving money for, right? He paid it all. Got freedom in Christ. That's what we're going to look at. Why do we still give? So we got to hang with me here for a second because even though this promise was to the nation of Israel, not to us, there's truth in Malachi 3 that does apply to us. But there's a caution. When we come to passages that we like, we just can't apply it in any way that we'd like to. Just can't. That's where a lot of heresy comes in. The context of Malachi is God's calling his people return to right worship. Again, stop offering lame worship and stop robbing God of worship. And what happens when you start robbing God of worship, right? When you, they stop giving to what God required, now all of a sudden the priests were being neglected. The temple and services would then be neglected and right worship would be neglected by people not giving what God called them to give. And what was true then is true today. And don't miss this. If you follow where your wealth goes, it'll show you where your love flows. If you follow where your wealth goes, it will show you where your love flows. Do you remember what does Jesus say? when it comes to the most important command of all the commands. The most important, numero uno, is what? To love God. To love the Lord, right? The most important command. If you're going to sum up all the commands. I know you got a little timid to speak in church. It's okay. Sum up all the commands to love the Lord your God. Number one. What did you say about money? Don't, don't answer that, because this is what he says. A lot. You guys know that? Jesus taught a lot about the topic of money. So one, most important command is love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he talks a lot about money. 
In Matthew 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, since he either hate one or love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so we know money isn't bad. We're the ones that make money bad. We need money. Right? God allows us to have money, to use money, because we need money. It's not a bad thing. We're the ones that make it bad. Wealth seems to be one of the main things that wars for our worship. You can't serve both. You can't worship both. I believe that's why Jesus speaks so much about money, because that's so easy where we drift our allegiance and our devotion to is our money. Think about where you spend all your time and energy. It's to make money. Not that that's bad. I'm not calling us to be a whole bunch of lazy people out there. That's not what we're saying. But where's your devotion? Where's your allegiance? Where's your worship? Is it your wealth? You see in Malachi, verse 10, it talks about the storehouse. And there's two storehouse examples I want to point to. One he says, bring the full tent into the storehouse. This is God's storehouse. This is storing up for the Lord, right? For the ministry, the priests, for the Levites, for the temple worship. Jesus speaks about a, a storehouse in a little bit different way. He tells this story in Luke 12. He said a rich man's land was very productive, meaning God was fairly rich. He thought to himself, what should I do? When you start talking to yourself, that's a warning. What should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? What a problem, right? I just have too much stuff. He says, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store up my grain and my, all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, drink, and enjoy yourself. The American dream, tomorrow, right? But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. In other words, Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know, my Many years, I spent 15 years, many of you know, working as a firefighter in the fire service, most of which was directly with military personnel. And throughout the years, working with many age ranges, the one common theme that everyone had was living to the ends of their means. That's if they were good with their finances. Most people live beyond their means, right? Got these things called credit cards. But if you're good with your finances, they live to the very ends of their means. Meaning if they made $30,000 a year, they would be spending $29,999 a year, right? Everything that they had. And then commonly, the refrain that would commonly be said is, only if I had more money, right? But the crazy thing is, when they get the, the promotion or the pay raise, they would just buy more stuff. Have you guys experienced that? just gives me an opportunity to buy more stuff. If only I had more money, essentially I could buy more stuff. 
and continue to live in the same way. This paycheck, one paycheck away from panic life. And that was me too. I was stuck in the same thing until Rachel and I really got a wake-up call from the Lord and showed us how selfish we were being with all that we had. See, we were like most people. We had car payments. We had cable. We had all these things. And I'm not saying those things are bad. But they were leading us to rob God from what he deserved in our life. We weren't giving generously, sacrificially. And what I finally saw, I had fallen into the trap that my dad had warned me of so many years as a kid. He always cautioned me, maybe you know this, of don't keep up with the Joneses. You ever heard that? It's an older phrase. Basically, stop trying to keep up with everyone else. To have everything that everyone else has, trying to be like everyone else, trying to outdo everyone with your stuff. And so easy to get caught up in that because really that's what our culture continues to push. More and more and more, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve. And that's where we ended up. And so God brought us through a financial journey to start peeling back some layers on what we had, what we needed, and what we weren't giving and should be to the Lord. The question has to be, how do you store up treasures in heaven, right? Well, the Old Testament, we saw three commands. Give a tenth to the festival tithe, give a tenth to the charity tithe, and give a tenth to support the work of the temple and the priests. What about the New Testament? Is there a difference? Yeah. Yeah, there is. The New Testament loses the emphasis on giving percentage and emphasizes that giving posture. And the, what we see throughout Scripture on every level is the heart flows to and through your hands. What's in your heart flows to and through your hands. In the New Testament era, that is the church era that we are in, we no longer have priests that we have to go to or through, or temples that we have to go to. It's not the same. We don't have these processes and structures in place. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. And he did. That's what we see throughout the pages of the New Testament is Jesus building his church. The local church. And the universal church. It's both in. And we have to go back and start pushing the emphasis on the local church again because we've started to neglect that in our culture. The whole New Testament is written to and about, in various ways, the local church. You see letters written to local churches or letters written to local church leaders. The book of Acts is the creation, the foundation of the local church and the advancement of the gospel, which led to making disciples and planting more local churches. So he did build his church, and he does build his church. That's what we see today. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. God's plan, A, is through the local church. That's us individually, but it's us collectively as a local body, part of a universal body of all Christians. But not to neglect the local church. So when we come to the New Testament, we see the standard of giving is sacrificial generosity. That's what it is. Sacrificial generosity. 
Let me give you a couple passages, and we don't have time to really dig into some of these, but I want you to see what the local church did or what the local church was guided to do. In Acts 4, you see the local church start growing in a fast, numerical, numerical way, right? People were coming to faith. They were being baptized. They were coming together. They were doing these things. But Acts 4, verse 34 says, For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And this then was distributed to each person as any had need. So how does God meet needs? Read right now, how does God meet needs in your life? It's through people. How does God meet needs within the local church? It's through the local church. It's through us giving to one another to see needs met. It's through us. So if those people are without need around us, especially within the local church, it's our fault. Because we're being neglected of what God's given us. They gave sacrificially and generously. And what's interesting is their collections were based on how they prospered, not a percentage. We see that in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. He says, Now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. So he's writing to the church in Corinth, but he references the Galatian churches. He says, On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering. So they're taking this collection to set aside, but he didn't say, make sure it's 10%. Make sure it's 23.3%. He said, as you are prospering. So the implied question doesn't seem to be what we ask much, is how much do I have to give? That doesn't seem to be the implied question, right? That's what we go, like, how much do I have to give? Just tell me, Josh, so I know, so I meet it. Rather, it seems to be how much can we give? That's a completely different question, isn't it? How much do we have to or how much can I? To keep in how you're prospering means to evaluate where you're at financially and figure out how much can I give? That's what a joyful giver is. We'll get there. Don't get, don't, don't get push me ahead where we're going. We'll get there. We also see that poverty doesn't limit generosity. This is interesting. We see that in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 and 2. He says, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And so what we see here is that even though they were in extreme poverty, they excelled in their ability in giving generously and beyond their ability. So it begs the question, and really there's a caution in this question. When your income becomes endangered, what do you start doing? I mean, if you're financially responsible, you start looking at what's the excess, right? And start cutting them. Right? That's what we do. That's, that's a responsible thing to do. But what we typically deem as excess first is giving. I know church is no place for honesty, but if we're honest, right, let's just be honest. If you lost your job right now, the first thing that would be cut is your, a lot of people would be giving. 
we consider that as excess, as optional. God would beg to differ. I'm not saying be irresponsible. I mean, there's some common sense at place here. But I bet excess could be considered cable, phone bills. I know these are comfortable things. I got you. Car payments. And the reason I'm saying this, this is a journey that the Lord brought Rachel and I on many years ago, about 2006. And so the Lord let us start selling our cars, canceling. We still had a house phone at a time. That was pretty revolutionary to stop having a house phone. Cancel cable. So that we could start giving because we'd been so selfish. Poverty is an excuse to not give generously in God's eyes. Everything we have is the Lord's. The truth of Malachi 3 still impacts the New Testament church. God causes people to be sacrificially generous that is both faith-based and love-fueled. And the truth that we see in Malachi 3, we see reflected in a very, in a, in a very specific way in 2 Corinthians 9. I'm going to read this passage in its entirety, but we quote 2 Corinthians 9-7 every single Sunday, and I will again in a few minutes when it comes to our giving time. But listen to what the Lord says through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 when it comes to giving. He says, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly, we're not talking about farming, we're talking about financial giving, okay? Who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person to do as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower, this is God, and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only in supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expresses of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. I don't know about you, but that sounds a whole lot like Malachi 3. But in a very different way, it's not you must give this, it's we get to do this. And what we get to do then produces a thanksgiving when you see God provide for you, through you, to others. And ultimately glorifies God because he's done what only he could do through your obedience. But it takes our obedience and sacrificial giving and generosity to see God move in amazing ways. This is the sowing and reaping. So Paul isn't teaching farming principles. He's teaching kingdom economy principles. Seed that remains in your hand does no good. Planting a little seed, you can expect a little crop. The more seed you sow, the larger the harvest that you'll reap. That's the, what we're seeing here. God still says, test me in this. Just looks a little bit different in the New Testament church. So how do we apply this? I found I have... 
two newly found spiritual gifts. I'll share them with you. One, unsolicited advice. Been really good at that. Um, it comes with age. The other is answering questions you're not asking. That's what we're going to do now, okay? And you're welcome for both, just in advance. So the question is, how and where are we to give generously? Well, shame on you for asking how, because I've already told you, okay? That's, that's on you. Give generously, right? If you're asking how much should I give, you're already asking the wrong question. But where? Where do you give? Well, that I'm glad you asked. I'm going to say, without hesitancy, boldly, because clearly in the Bible, it starts at the local church. Here, starts at your local church. And believe me, this should drive why finding the local church that God would have you to be at is so vitally important. Because you're called to invest your life there. So if it's here, start making some roots here. If it's not here, find the place the Lord has you. You're called to serve. You're called to give. You're called to bear each other's burdens. That happens in the local church. All these commands that we see in New Testament scriptures are to local churches. And they can't be fulfilled, most of them, outside the local church. You need the local church, and the local church needs you. That's the way this works. When we come to Scripture, the Bible doesn't know a Christian outside the local church. It was assumed that they were a part of the local church. Today, it's flipped. It's assumed that it's optional. And most people aren't active in the local church. That's not what the Bible says or assumes. So it starts, your generous giving starts at the local church, to its missions and ministry. That's why you got to be convinced that's where God's called you to. And I think this is why, I don't think, I know, and this is something we take very seriously. The local church should have financial transparency. Wherever you're at, if you can't ask for the finances and see them, that's a problem. Any day, you can ask for our finances, and we'll tell you. We'll show you what we have in the bank account. We'll show you where we go with our finances. we show you what we do, where they're being spent. It's not a problem because there's nothing to hide. It's ours. It's us. It's we. It's what we do. It's amazing. We just are in the budgeting process for next year, and so our ministry team leaders do a great job of working through our needs and trying to figure out a budget. And then our stewardship team comes together and takes all the ministry team leaders, what they put, and pile it together and start putting together this budget. And then we come to the church members and we talk about it and share where we're proposing the funds go. And every year I'm so thankful when we do this. Because before this church even became a church, the prayer was that this church would be a generous church, a giving church. And God has done such amazing things in you and through you, in us and through us, that this is a generous church. And it blows people away to hear about our generosity. I mean, we're a young church. We're two and a half years old. And just for some, I was going to go here, but I'm going to because I got the microphone. Just for some perspective, a church plant's goal to be a success would be self-sustaining financially within three years, by the three-year mark, which is extremely tough to do for most churches. Do you know by God's grace, we have been self-sustaining financially since year one? It is amazing move of God. And for those that have lost count, that was the COVID year. So not only did God work a miracle through that, but it was in the most, the hardest time that many of us have ever experienced by God's grace. 
And so now we are given a lot of money through our local church because we believe the money doesn't stop at church like a cul-de-sac. It flows through it, right? And so we give off the top 20% of all you give away to missions and ministry. On top of that, we are supporting or helping support two different church plants right now financially, one in Fredericksburg and one in Puerto Rico. On top of that, we put aside money for missions, for Puerto Rico specifically right now. I love being a part of a church that's generous, but we need to keep this in mind of why we're generous. It starts with the Lord. So yes, your giving starts at the local church, I'm convinced biblically. And I think it's an uphill climb to say anything else. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. There's many other missions and ministries that we're a part of. One is Operation Christmas Child. Right? That's what we're doing for the next two weeks, Operation Christmas Child. You get to pick up a shoebox after worship. You get to take it home, pick up one, two, 15, however many you want to go. You pack them. You pay $10 for a label. You bring them back here and we'll ship them off for you. But what that does, it meets practical needs for the sake of the gospel in hard-to-reach areas through local churches. That's a way we can give on top of what you're already giving. Lottie Moon Christmas offerings coming up. We'll be pushing that for you to give more there. Every penny of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes to support our missionaries in international areas. You got the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. We're going to be pushing that in April. That goes to every church planter and missionary in the North Americas. I mean, just aside from that, there's so many other ways. Our, our family likes to do Compassion International, and we're going to push that in January. We're going to plead with you, consider sponsoring a child who's in need. But they also have this catalog, which I love. I mean, who, where else can you just go and buy a goat for a family in a third world country? Pretty amazing. 500 bucks, you can buy a goat or whatever. You can buy medicines. You can buy these things. Like, how can we be generous on top of our regular giving? Here's what I don't expect. I don't expect at the end of worship today for our giving box to just bust out the seams with cash. I don't expect that. What I do expect is for the Lord to start generating something in your heart and for you to go home this week and sit down and scrutinize your budgets and to see how much can we give. And is there excess that we can cut out to give more? That's what I expect. That's biblical. That's stewardship. The bottom line, just to be very blunt, is our giving or lack of giving is an indication or evidence of what's in our hearts. You follow your wealth. Where your wealth goes, it'll show you where your love flows. Today what we see in Malachi 3 and that's what we see today is this question of robbing God. And I just want us to spend just a minute of assessing our own lives. Are there areas where we're robbing God? Again, God doesn't need anything. But he deserves it. He's given it to us to return for the glory of God and for the good of others. I'm reminded of this. So my, my boys are building a BMX track in our backyard right now. It looks crazy. Pretty awesome too. But you know what my boys don't have? One, they don't have a yard. It's mine. They don't have tools. 
So they're using my shovels. They're using my wheelbarrow. I had to go get dirt for them, more dirt. That's not theirs either. You know what they don't do at the end of each day after they get done digging up my backyard? They don't return it and say, Dad, here you go. This is what I wanted to give you today. I want to give you your broken up shovel because how much I love you. And here's this rusted old wheelbarrow. And I tore up your backyard. You're welcome. Let this be a pleasing, fragrant aroma in your sights. No, man, they don't do that. It's mine. I let them borrow it. Let them use it. Very similar to all that we have. How are we using and stewarding every cent that God's given us? Every talent that God's given you? Every second of time that God's given you? How are you using it for God's glory? And here's the deal. It all comes back to our relationship with the Lord. Our giving comes from a love for the Lord, but we only love the Lord because he first loved us. And this fuels all of our giving and all of our life out of a response of worship. I mean, Jesus said in John 3, right? For God so loved the world in this way, what? He gave his first, his best, his one and only son, that whosoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. He gave first. He's the example of love. He's the example of sacrificial generosity that we're to follow in. I'm going to close with this. I love King David's response. King David, as you know, was known after a man's God's own heart. He says this in front of the people. He's offering this prayer to the Lord, and he says this. He says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty. For everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. My prayer is that's our cry. Who are we that we're able to give like this? The joy that comes from giving. Because you know that everything you give, God's going to bless and multiply. It doesn't mean that you're going to be wealthy. It doesn't mean that you're going to be healthy. It does mean that God's going to bless in ways that he blesses and do as we trust him. Do we trust him? This isn't some prosperity nonsense. This is God's faithfulness. And he's promised to be faithful if we promise to follow. That's the promise that extends to all people of all time, including today. And so we're going to respond in worship like we always do. And we believe everything we do as we gather for worship is an act of worship. And so I'm going to invite our band back up, and they're going to lead us into one more song. But I'm going to ask you to respond to what God's doing in your life. And so this is what it could look like. So as the band comes up, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. But after we pray, they're going to sing another song. And your response to what the Lord's doing in your life could look a variety of ways. But I want to give you the freedom to respond to what God's doing and what God's calling you to do. So yeah, for many, it could be standing and singing and praising God for all that he's done and is doing and will do because he's worthy. It could be sitting and praying and asking God just to do some things in your life. May to forgive some things in your life. 
It could be going with someone else in the room and praying together. We'll have a prayer team. We're here to pray with you, pray for you, walk alongside you in your faith journey to give you some guidance and wisdom the best we can while directing you to Jesus the whole time. But we have to stop because none of this makes sense if you don't trust and love Jesus. You can't talk about sin and not-to-dos. You can't talk about giving and to-dos if you don't first know Jesus. So if that's you today, I'm going to invite you to stop trusting in yourselves. Stop trusting in your ways because it won't work out. That is shaky ground that will fail. Do you trust in Jesus? I'm not talking about no stuff. I'm talking about transferring what you know in your head to your heart to where you finally seen that God loves you so much that he gave himself for you, that he died the death that you deserved to pay the price that you owed but you couldn't pay so that you could live with him forever and have that new life that you were meant to have in the first place with him to enjoy him, to know him, and to be known by him. And it comes by faith, he said, to all who believe. That somehow, some way that Jesus' blood on the cross counted for you, that you will be saved, that you will be made new, and that you'll have that relationship established. All sins will be forgiven. That comes from you coming to him with all your heart and say, I've seen that I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. I hate it. But somehow I see that you still love me. And you gave yourself for me, and I believe it. And I need you starting right now. I don't know what God's doing in your life, but let's respond. I'm going to pray for us, and let's continue to worship our response of what God's doing, of his goodness. Father, we thank you for calling us here today. Father, we thank you for your, your goodness, your love, your sacrifice, your generosity, your patience with us, your faithfulness. We thank you for being ever dependable ever faithful, ever present in our lives, Lord. And Father, right now, I just ask that you reveal areas in our life that where we have strayed, that we have turned from you. And help us to hear your words calling us to return, to turn back to you, to turn from the ways that have led us astray, to return back to your ways, to lean on you and not of ourselves to trust in you, Father. Reveal any trust issues that we may have in our life and forgive us of our lack of faith, lack of trust. Bring us back to you, Father. Restore our faith, restore our souls, refresh us as we have so many burdens and stresses and worries. I pray you refresh our spirit, refresh our souls by your presence and the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, lead us into a time of worship now that launches us into a lifestyle of worship starting right now. Let everything we do, every second we've been given, every penny that you've given, let us give it back to you as a sacrificial, generous offering that brings worship and is pleasing to you. Let our lifestyles be pleasing in your sight. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your graciousness, and your presence in this place right now. Lead us, Father, we ask. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, 
please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.